Welcome to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. I am Dr. John, the guide for your heroic journey towards greater health, success, and most importantly, happiness. And now, on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John and a quick PSA regarding my new virtual men's group that meets on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Pacific time. There's only a few spots left, but I thought you might want to know about it. It's a quick, easy, and cheap way to work with me. And maybe some of you have a career. Maybe you've made some money. Maybe you have a reputation for yourself at work. But maybe what you lack is things like happiness or purpose, a fulfilling relationship or a healthy sex life, the passion, happiness, and ease that you once had with your spouse, an emotion other than numbness, disconnection, or irritability. This group is for men who are trying to be values-driven, interested in lifelong learning, and curious about how to become the best possible versions of themselves. The group is not for men who want to remain in the comfort zone while sitting at home watching TV. So again, group meets weekly, Wednesday, 7 p.m. It's only $95 per session, and you can call 510-863-0057 for more details. That's 510-863-0057. Five, seven. And now on with the show. Hey everybody, this is Dr. John back with another episode of the Evolved Caveman podcast. And I am really psyched to have with me here today, a return guest, Johnny Elsasser. And Johnny is a formal, former special ops U.S. Army Ranger with four combat tours between Iraq and Afghanistan and another five years protecting the U.S. ambassador to Iraq in Baghdad. Johnny has seen the field of masculinity through extreme alpha perspectives. He knows the trials and tribulations all men deal with in society today. His mission is to help men find strength in developing their authentic masculinity to be consistent with who they are and not what society expects them to be. Johnny has shifted his fight to advocating and supporting men in finding their own masculine blueprint and cultivating their purpose as positive men in this world today. You can check him out on his most excellent podcast, The Art of Masculinity. And the reason he's here today is he just dropped his first book, Design the Man Within, which is the door-opening book for the everyday man to see that self-development isn't just for the spiritual or effeminized men. That really taking a look at our internal conversations, struggles, and traumas is what helps us to identify and grow within, ultimately to impact our external environment and relationships to reflect the happiness we all deserve. Johnny, welcome back. How are you doing? Dude, John, I really appreciate you having me on and always great to talk with you. It's, it's been a while since you and I have connected, but uh, just love what you're putting out in the world and very grateful to have friends like you in the industry to allow me to come speak to their communities, man, especially when something as big as like, you know, you know, as you know, a book coming out. Yeah, your first very, book drops. Yeah, yeah. And you feel very proud about it and you just want to serve people, right? So that's, uh, I appreciate you allowing me to be back on here and jam out with you for a little bit and share with your community. Absolutely. And I, I really, as I was telling you before we got on the air, I, I really respect and admire your work. And I love the perspective you come at it from because it's completely different from mine. And yet we're kind of coming to the similar, well, to similar truths, which I always find reaffirming. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating when you see that because it just gives it gives more um, credibility to you know the saying of you can skin a th- cat a thousand ways, right? Like it's we can sit here and all have this intention for men on how to kind of 
allow ourselves to grow and to build ourselves, but we can have different methodologies in, in the way to get there. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that that's what lends a lot of um, avenues or, or uh, different paths of getting there for guys to figure out who really resonates with them and who speaks their language. So at the end of the day, we have the same goal of just bringing men along and helping them along the way. And hopefully they just, you know, resonate with one of us and then they'll just get to the same path as everybody else just through a different or the same ending as everybody else just through a different path, you know? So it's a different doorway to the same goal. Yeah. Um, And and so to me, I'm, I'm always a fan of the more men out there doing men's work or similar work, the more we all benefit. hundred percent, hundred percent. Because Man, like you know this, not everybody's gonna resonate with me. Um, not everybody's gonna resonate with you. And it's like if they only had one of us out there, we're like, we're the only ones, we're the end all be all. Like you're gonna leave a lot of people behind. And yeah. so I, I just love the fact that there is this diversity within the men's space right now, which I think is very powerful. And we can talk a little bit about the earlier men's movement and why it failed. I've had some friends who were part of that that kind of explained a little bit of that to me while they went through it. But ultimately, I think that this this time around is going to be very much more successful because we have this diversity of messages that get everybody to the same point. Absolutely. And one of the things I love that you espouse is the idea of kind of finding your own version or your own definition of masculinity, because I am completely in agreement with you there. I don't think there's one absolute, true, best definition of masculinity. I think there's hundreds. Well, and that that to me is... So this has been a conversation I've been having recently, one with myself and two with other men in the men's space. Um, and you know, I think that my opinion to this is that there was an ancestral line or foundation of masculinity. 100% mm-hmm. believe that. And I, re, and I believe that because of the fact that during the times of really the start of tribes and civilization, before we got to areas like where we were having metropolises and cities and things like that, um, I believe that all the tribes were dealing with the same environment, which was purely survival. So right. the, hier- the hierarchy within masculinity was dependent on certain features being within every man. And then that helped to create the survivability of the tribe. But then we come into civilization and there's cities and there's politics and there's, you know, uh, propaganda and distribution of labor. I mean, every, yeah, distribution of labor, just so many things. And then you have this civilization that also created, it took us out of the survival aspect because the fact we built walls, we took away the, the trees where, um, in the areas of refuge for animals. So they're not, they're exposed if they come into our environment, right? So they're not safe anymore. So we created this safety, which de- uh, deteriorated some of the values in which men were at their most effective within the tribe. And then I think that in my personal opinion, and some guys will, we've had conversations, some guys don't agree with me, but I think in my personal opinion, that's where the fracture of that, um, straight line of masculinity broke, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, well, that's where so, that, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. What would you say to traditionalists, those that, you know, hearken back to the days of traditional masculinity that say, that's where we should still be. That's where we should still be. That's what masculinity is and always should remain. 
Yeah, this is a great question because I don't think that they're necessarily wrong, but I think that they are wrong. <laughs> oh, come on, stop waffling. <laughs> I, I don't necessarily think they're wrong because there's a lot of values in that ancestral way of being a man that I I value as a man. And I think uh, were instilled in me and I still bring those forward in how I present myself today. But is there a version of that that's a little more watered down and not as focused or as applicable in in the daily manner as it used to be? Yes. And on top of that, do I believe that there's more idiosyncrasies that we have to focus on, which allow us to be a little more intricate? Absolutely. I don't think you can have the four, like a four or three set of rules or traits for masculinity and say, we have to get back to that. It's like, bro, first off, you need to have a real conversation that you don't even meet those. Like you, you don't actually meet most of those to the level that the ancestors did. Right. Yeah. No, I, and I'm totally in agreement with you. And I agree with all of what you said in the sense of like, if if I may, I think that you definitely needed those traditional masculine traits to do your job in special ops as an army. Ranger. Absolutely. That Absolutely. served you in that environment. Yes. And, and I, I think, I mean, the way I think about it is I'm not opposed to that. I, I think I, I love being masculine and there's a lot within that man box that I appreciate and use at times, but it's about having the ability to shift gears and embrace all parts of our humanity so that we can access those to best meet the needs of the situation that we're in. Well, and that's why I love your podcast name, which I secretly wish I could steal because the fact that... Uh, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's like it's like we, we do need to evolve from that. And it's like, cool, yeah. these old pieces can still be part of us, but we have to get a little more complex now because and society... Nuanced. Yeah. Exactly. And nuance. And, and I was having a conversation um, the other day on another show. And I was like, you know, when we look at today, the battlefield isn't me facing off with John and us going physically toe to toe. It's people attacking masculinity intellectually. And if men can't stand up to that, we're just going to get abused. Right. And so it's like, that's part of that evolution. Whereas like back in the day, intellectual was not part of the features that you would include in masculinity. But I think to be a well-rounded man and an evolved man today, you have to start focusing on that and including that. And that includes uh, being intellectual, it includes emotional intelligence to be able to read other people and to mm-hmm. read the room. Like it's a lot of other features that we really have to start focusing on. So while I believe that those traditionalists want to say like we need to get back to that, it's like I think to a certain degree we should continue to hold those values because I don't yes. think that there's anything wrong. But I think we need to also evolve and make them better by adding other pieces that actually help us with the environment we're in today. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. So I'm, I'm looking at the table of contents in your book. And one of the things that grabs my attention, and I'm, it says waving the white flag, chapter 11. And I'm curious what you mean by that. I have my interpretation, but what do you mean by that? Yeah. Waving the white flag was like a, a really fun... Um, it was a really fun uh, uh, chapter for me because it does kind of it does kind of change the conversation. And what I kind of brought this out to be was that like when we're waving the white flag, a a lot of people think that you're quitting, right? They think that Mm -hmm. you're surrendering. But what I'm talking about is like we're, we're evolving. So waving the white flag is just making sure that like we're actually putting our pride down in, in a sense of like not holding to, uh, not holding to like old values that aren't serving us and aren't uh, serving society, right? 
and yeah. kind of like being like, okay, let's put this stuff down and then admit that this is not serving us and then look to evolve. And part of that comes with, um, you know, admitting that there's, there's some form of fear, right? Because mm-hmm. I, I think people want to ask that like fear is there, or they want to say that fear isn't part of what, uh, they see in their life or that fear is weak, right? That's a lot of things that I don't, I don't feel fear, Johnny. Yeah, I, exactly. I don't feel fear. Like fears, fears that I'm a man. There's no fear. And it's like, no, I'm just we, kidding. We all, we all have fear, man. And like, if we don't, and fear, in my opinion, is one of the most powerful things as a human being. Like, it will drive us to exceed any expectation or any limitation when we're in that mode of fear. If you think about most successful entrepreneurs, right? What one of the things, and you and I have, you know, we've both talked to hundreds of people on our podcast. So, like, we have heard these stories time and time again. And one of the things I've come to see when we talk about fear, it's like, how did these people become successful? Well, if you look at what most of them did, what did they do? They burned the boats. Uh-huh. They burned the boats of whatever it is brought them to this destination. So, whether it's a corporate job or whether it's whatever that allowed them to be semi successful, and then they turned around, burned the boats, focused on the goal that they wanted to uh, achieve, but they had no back, they had no ability to back out. Right. And so, when that happened, what happened to their life? They had no choice but to be successful because failure meant that they actually had. nothing but like the streets to go to potentially some of them. That's what it was. It was like, Hey, you're going to be back on the streets or you will be on the streets if this isn't successful. And the fear of that drove them to say, Hey, holy crap, I'm going to make this work. And then they do everything right. They hit all of the right notes because the fact that they have no other choice and fear drove them to do that. And so waving the white flag is to say one, that your fear is part of your journey. Fear is part of your superpower. And then number two is waving the white flag is like, okay, how do we ask for support? Right? Because yeah. most of us men, you and you and I have talked about this. It's yep. like that support feature is huge, right? Like if most men don't ask for this. And that's what I address as well in waving the white flag. So I, I love what you just said. Let me let me jump in there because one of the, you talked about fear. And one of the stories I love with Mike Tyson was when he had his first pro bout. And his trainer was Custa Amato. And Custa is kind of a legendary boxing trainer. And from what I understand, Mike Tyson was scared shitless, <clears throat> which is totally appropriate when you're going to go into a ring with a man who's trying to destroy you yeah. one-on-one. I mean, that, that yeah. totally makes sense to me. But he was so afraid that he wanted to like leave the building, like run, mm. which again, part of fight, flight, freeze. Cuss said to him, hey, look, I totally understand that you're feeling fear right now. That's normal. But understand that fear is, you know, if you had a friend of yours that saved your life multiple times a day, you wouldn't look at that friend as a nuisance or annoying. You wouldn't try and keep them at bay. You would honor them as like a superhero. And that's what your fear is. Your fear is trying to keep you safe, but sometimes it's coming up in ways that aren't telling you the truth or that you have to overcome. Mm -hmm. And, And I think that was right on point. And the other thing I consider is that if we're not, if we're not aware, if we're not honest about what we're feeling, we become that emotions, bitch. We are at the mercy of that emotion because it is controlling us usually subconsciously. And, and so in order to become your own man, in order to become authentic and more evolved, we got to be aware of these emotions so that we're not at their mercy. 
Exactly. And the, the other thing that came up for me when, when I saw waving the white flag, it brought up, you know, you brought up kind of giving up your pride on the other side of that spectrum. I look at humility and, you know, what is it that keeps us from being humble? I would say it's anger, which is one of our, you know, go-to emotions for most men. But yeah. when we're angry, we externalize blame onto the other party, which means we're not looking at ourselves. We're not mm-hmm. being introspective. We're not accepting our responsibility and we're sure as hell not being humble. And lately, you know, I broke up with my fiance. We were apart for three months and then got back together. And I can tell you that was deeply humbling. Mm. And it was necessary for me to get to a point where I could make the changes that I needed to make to be better in that relationship. Mm. Yeah. So I, I really have honored humility lately. Yeah. And, and that's correct. That's, that's the other side of that spectrum. And so it's like when we have that pride, it doesn't allow us to, to really be humble either because we're so, I mean, I talk about this in the book in another chapter, but we talk about going into that pride so fiercely that it, it, it creates myopathy. Mm-hmm. And in that myopathy, we create a story around what everything should be and how yeah. it should look, which ends up creating a lot of other friction in our life. But in in that waving the white flag, the reason why that was so powerful for me to write was because I experienced all this, right? And so, and I talk about that. And then at one point, we as men have to figure out how to surrender. And this is not an attribute that we're very well. No. <laughs> and like you're talking about a, to a dude that was, you know, former spec ops and used to protect the uh, US ambassador to Iraq. And you're asking me to surrender. And I realized that if I, figured out how to surrender, I could actually um, intermingle and connect with the universe in a much different way in which I could actually receive good things instead of always receiving bad. If I learned to surrender, yeah, if I learned how to surrender, I was able to receive more uh, connectivity within my relationships. And so it's like when we wave the white flag for that, and we start saying, hey, man, like I'm surrendering in a lot of ways to allow the myself to experience the world differently and experience our environment differently. It allows you to receive things differently. Now, this is just one building block um, within the book because of the fact that it, you know, just surrendering isn't the only piece. But you know, when we build ourselves to be adaptable men and confident in who we are, when we do surrender, it's not as scary. And it also can allow you to, like I said, receive more externally than you've been open for in your life before. Yeah. And I think that speaks to this power of paradox um, in the sense that, you know, if we are open to the idea of surrender, for example, then we're more comfortable in the pursuit of winning. If we are Mm -hmm. comfortable with the idea of divorce or breakup, we are more fully present in our relationship. If we are more comfortable with the idea of death, we can more fully embrace life. And so I like this idea that we're big enough to contain multitudes and paradoxes simultaneously, because I think many of us are trying to push out pieces of ourselves or, you know, suppress them, or we hate them, or we can't stand them. When I think a much better approach is to learn to be aware of and accept all aspects of ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if you think about it, like if we're always in this fight mode of wanting to dominate and control our environment, what what are we in? We're in a win-lose. We're always in a win-lose. Someone's got to win. 
someone's got to lose. And if you live life that way, trust me, I did for over a decade. I lived life that way. If you live life that way, you are going to have a lot of highs and a lot of lows, right? Because you're going to win some and you're sure as hell going to lose some. And you won't know how to handle the losses because the fact that you're just going to get back into that, uh, that, as you put it, that anger emotion, right? You're going to get back into that because you're like, I need to win now. And then once you come at that universe with that needy energy, you're going to get the things that you don't desire, which is more losses. Yeah. And, and I think in the man box, when we're raised in the man box, it's, we're only as good as our last achievement, our last success. And we can't be successful hundred percent of the time. Let me, let me ask you this. It makes me curious. So you must've been a competitive motherfucker growing up. I was, man. I, I love, I played sports my whole, I played 20 yeah. years of soccer and was on three different yeah. teams. I was highly Me too. competitive. Absolutely. And, and I was a competitive asshole. So I say that with respect, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it also, I mean, I think there's some good and some bad to that, right? Like I was all tied up in winning and losing for the first part of my life. But it doesn't serve me in things like business or relationship because it's not a zero sum game. Yeah. What have you learned about kind of managing that competitive side of you? Yeah, I was the same way. Like, uh, you know, I think part of my journey when I figured out that competition is absolutely amazing and also absolutely detrimental is mm-hmm. when I realized, uh, and, and what taught me it was being in war. So when we were training, especially in Ranger Battalion, because we're the top 1% of the most elite mm-hmm. uh, military units in the in the U.S. military, um, when you look at being in such an elite force, I'm always competing with my buddies. Mm-hmm. Always, always. We would do these things called stress shoots where we would have this whole... It was a whole buildup to get to, this, to the range. And then once you got to the range, you were timed and you had all these targets and you had to shoot them and you had uh, all this stuff. And so we were always competing. We were competing to see who was better. And we did that in training. But then as soon as you hopped on that bird and you were going to fight an enemy, it was like same team, bro. And Mm -hmm. I I obviously, we all experience this in sports, right? You know that you're not competing with your buddies when you're on the the field playing soccer, right? Once you guys hit against another team, you get it. But it really doesn't hit home or didn't hit home for me until I got into the military. And when I experienced that, I said, well, why can't we treat our brothers that way in regular life? Mm-hmm. Like, why can't we treat our, our friends that way? Why can't we treat our, our spouses that way? Like, why can't we treat the rest of the world that way? And only when it becomes game time, does it become a competition that does serve you? And so when I figured this out, I was like, okay, well, if I learn how to, you know, once I learn how to surrender, which I had to do when I was going through my own dark times and had to figure out, like, I can't control all this. I, I don't have the the tools to do that. Nor yeah, don't you hate win. that? Yeah. Yeah. When the world, when the universe is hey, bro, <laughs> and gut checks you, like in a lot of people, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have been there. It's like when it gut checks you, like you don't have the power. You just yeah. don't. And when I got to that point and I had to kind of surrender, when I started to do my own self-development journey, I looked back retrospectively on that and my time in the military. And I was like, oh, wow, there is this paradox that we have to um, competition where it can really serve us if we learn how to harness it. Mm -hmm. And 
that's when it it clicked for me and i and i agree 100% with you i think that we should never eradicate competition i think it's one of the best things out there it's what helps us to continually grow and evolve yeah. as a, as a society i mean it's what's going to push us to space it's what's going to push us into you know actually traveling to other planets but at the end of the day we have to learn how to harness it first and, and well, we can't have it just run sorry, on its own. Sorry to interrupt. It, oh, you're it may, good. You're I just good. had this idea of maybe we could harness that competitive nature in men to get them to introspect and to yeah. spelunk in the psych, their own psyche or soul. Because in my my experience, men are deathly afraid of introspection and looking at themselves and looking at their emotional state. And yeah. and I get it. I mean, I've been afraid to do it too in the past. Um, but it's the last frontier in my mind, right? Like we have been to the depths of the ocean. We have been to outer space. We've explored the whole of the earth on the surface where we haven't gone is internal. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love that. And you're absolutely right. Like, I think one of the best sayings, and I, I put this out on Instagram pretty, uh, pretty regularly, I think, or every so often, but it's, it's be 1% better tomorrow or today than you were yesterday. And yeah, it's a great idea. When we can look at ourselves internally and and have that competition with ourselves instead of the external world, that's the only person that really matters because if you're always improving through that competition, nobody else is suffering. And mm -hmm. you're actually improving your environment around you, your relationships, because part of that improvement is going to be a question of how can I be a better spouse or yeah. how can I be a better father? Like yeah. you're going to look to increase that capacity. And in that challenge, in that competition, if you can be 1% better today than you were yesterday, well, that's going to look like something where you're being more open or more vulnerable or more emotionally connected or whatever it is. And that challenge is a great competition. And so, yeah, that's, I think you're right. It is one of those spaces and it's all individual. There's yeah. no, there's no um, framework that can be handed from John to Johnny to somebody else. Like you right. just can't because we're all so individual within ourselves that that introspection, the experiences we've been through, the way we process and analyze information is always going to be different. And yeah, I love so, your idea. Sorry again. I love your idea good. of turning that competitiveness towards self and competing with yourself yeah. to be better on a daily basis. That, that point's really well taken. So let me ask you, one of the other things you put in your book, which I like is, this idea of the three horsemen of death, shame, guilt, yeah. and regret. Um, and shame's, shame's a bitch. And, and so speak a little bit about those three. This is uh, my favorite chapter. So I always ask authors, I'm like, what, what was your favorite chapter? Because everybody likes their books, I'm sure. But like, you always have a favorite chapter. This was my favorite chapter because I've gone through, uh, we, as we all have, whether we admit it or not, every single person from man to woman has gone through shame, guilt, and regret. Mm -hmm. But I think men struggle with this more because we have a tendency to not open up and talk about these things that we struggle with. Right. And they go, they go hand in hand. And guess what? They all live in the past. And that mm -hmm. was one of my things. I've told, I've told people this a lot in, um, in my podcast and everything else was that if you live in the past, you're living in death. Because there's nothing you can change from the past. You can only review, acknowledge, and accept. Mm -hmm. And so when I wrote this chapter about shame, guilt, and regret, I thought about my life 
and where I had certain points where I would focus on the past and it would consume my present and my future. And I was like, I was just living in shame of what I did or what I said, guilt around how I behaved or how I treated somebody, and then regret on how I could have changed it. And I was like, gosh, man, these are literally the recipe for living in death, living in the past. Yeah. And and I think, you know, to get more specific on that, I would say those three are living in a negative past because I think we can live in a positive past or at least spend time in a positive past and think about good memories and good things that have happened to us. And that's a different story. Um, Let me ask you this. So how, how do you identify or how have you identified internally when you are in a state of shame? So a lot of times I look at like, uh, like I look at, I'll I'll use an example. So when I was a lot heavier drinker, and I think a lot of people can, can relate to this. It's like, you remember those nights when you got really hammered with a group of friends and then you woke up the next day and you were like, did I really say those things? Johnny, that never happened to me. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Did Did I really do that? Was that inappropriate? Like you start to cycle through the night before and you just become really embarrassed first. Mm-hmm. Like you're like, oh God, dude, that is not me. Like, oh, I hope they know that's not me. That was so stupid. Like, who says those things? Like, and you go through this whole thing, you get embarrassed, and then you start to feel this shame of kind of when I do it, when I feel shame, it's because I, I notice that I violate my own morals or ethics. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I experience that, it hits me deep. Like I yeah. feel very shameful in the fact that like I am not uh, presenting myself as the man that uh, that I believe I am, and that others believe me to be. And so that shame is like I've become like a disappointment to myself almost. And in that, when I find that I violated my morals or ethics. Um, or even the foundation of the man that I've I've designed, you know, intentionally designed. When I violate those, I feel that shame, and it feels like just the pit of my stomach, of like you know, almost somebody taking like a uh, a blunt object and just constantly forcing it into your stomach, right? So it's not mm-hmm. a piercing pain, but you just feel like this dull kind of pain going into your stomach. And for me, it just it, I don't want to eat. Um, I, I try to focus on anything else but evaluating that scenario. And that's what the shame does to me. And that's how I experience it, I would say. Yeah, thank you for that explanation. It was quite a good explanation. It's a difficult question, I got to say, to answer. Um, because I, if you would ask me five years ago, do you feel any shame? I would have been like, no, I think I'm good. And then I realized <laughs> when, <laughs> no, I'll, I'll pass. Um <laughs> But unfortunately, you can't do that. But yeah, shame is one of the most powerful emotions out there. It can smother and kill and out. It, it's louder than any other emotion. Um, and I realized I was feeling shame when I would get in a disagreement with my partner and I would get flooded emotionally. And then I would kind of begin to cut myself off and stonewall because I'm trying not to say anything in anger to hurt her feelings. And And then I would have some... I would hear a thought or two, something like, I'm no good in relationship or she'd be better off without me. And so I would identify, I mean, there was a physical element to it too. I think your stomach description was a good one, but I would identify it more by the thoughts in my head, which were trying to tell me I was unworthy of connection. Oh, interesting. 
And, and I think that's the damning part of shame is it makes us feel like we are not worthy of love, belonging, and connection. And yeah. so it isolates us and cuts us off. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then, and then when you sit with it long enough, it turns in, in my, in my uh, experience, it turned into to guilt. Yeah. And to, to feel that guilt of like, wow, I'm guilty of violating myself or somebody else or the relationship that we had, um, whatever it was. And then that's where it becomes that really it adds to that pain. And then this is, this is where men, in, in my opinion, start doing the shoving it down. And they're mm-hmm. like, okay, well, well, as long if I don't talk about it and I don't think about it, this isn't going to come back. Like nobody's going to bring this mm-hmm. up. Like it's going to, it's, it's just going to sit and die in its closet. And it's like, well, that ain't going to happen, bro. Like <laughs> good yeah. luck with that. Um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, um, that one of the things that's interesting about shame is it doesn't stand up to the light of day. And so if you share it with others, that's really our best strategy for getting beyond it. So yep. the way that we're socialized as men does not serve us at all in this right. arena. Right. And that is so, what's so cool about it is like, it doesn't hold any, any water at all. And when you open up to somebody um, especially when you open it up to your brothers, like I find that to be really powerful when you can open that experience to other men. Yeah. Um, because most of them are going to one be like, bro, I have been there. Like yeah. I have been there. And that is empowering just in and of itself. And yep. then number two, what's crazy is I found most men, even the most hardened men, are gonna give you empathy and support. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you're and and we we hide from this and we judge ourselves for it yet it's it literally will dissipate if you just share it with with somebody um in your life that you you feel safe with yeah that's been my experience absolutely in my men's group my monthly men's dinner the work i do with men that when you share it with another man there's something really powerful and and i it's different than sharing it with a woman um for sure. and i think both are effective but they're different Yes. Um, there's just something really, it allows this exhalation of relief to share it with another man. And they say, yeah, been there. I totally understand. And, and I think, I think there's something really important to sharing experiences like that where other men can hear them and get permission to do the same. Oh yeah. That is incredibly important. I think you um, back to a little bit, if we back up a little bit to our conversation around uh, competitiveness, I think you actually, when you do this, part of the ancestral energetic release, in my opinion, is that you're actually breaking down some of that barrier of the competition where we just look at every other man as competition because we're kind of wired that way. Mm -hmm. And you're allowing that to dissipate and start to look at them more as a brother and a supporting figure. Yeah. And that's where I think you actually end up getting rid of some of that negative energy around competition and start to create the connection of having people in your life who can support you and then kind of flow into that surrender like we were talking about as well. So it's like you kind of disarm that competition and then move into the surrender. Well, and to build on your point, I think you're absolutely correct. And in in doing that in being involved in a men's group or having connection with men at a real authentic level, I think it can effectively shape our primal world beliefs around how safe or dangerous do we think the world actually is. In other words, if I begin to 
reveal my heart and my how I'm actually feeling to other men and I get support and empathy, I can start to change my belief that the world is inherently a dangerous place. For example, I can right. begin to move up the scale that, well, you know, maybe the world's safer than I thought, which radically changes the quality of your life because it enables you to reach out to more and more strangers in those meaningly micro converse, meaningless micro conversations, but that actually aren't meaningless at all because if they go well, you both walk away with a positive emotional boost. And that's accumulative. Yeah. And that is powerful in and of itself. Because if you walk around, like, trust me, I can speak to this. I walked I imagine over a decade, just judging people and judging every environment for its threat. Right. And I lived that because the fact that I had to live in that environment for almost a decade, like I were trained to. Right. And I was carrying that to the regular world. Well, ask me, what it did for my relationships when I came back to quote unquote the civilized world full time. I didn't have new friends. I didn't have good friends. I didn't have people that we actually talked about what was really going on in life or what we were struggling with, which is why I ended up with a divorce. Like I didn't have those things because of the way that I was looking at the world to be so negative. And I was judging everything in it. And I was looking at everything as a worst case scenario. And like I said, there was huge value for that when I was doing my job overseas. There was almost yep. no value for that when I was carrying it with me in my regular daily life. Can I, can I ask you to consider, and I, I'm just thinking about this, so I don't really have a, a conclusion, but if we divide that... So one of the primal world beliefs is the world is safe versus the world is dangerous. And you can think about that on like a one through a hundred scale, right? Um, yeah. And... What if we divide that into something like men are safe versus men are dangerous, women are safe versus women are dangerous? And my my hunch was that you would have come back from your experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan thinking that men were inherently more dangerous. I don't know that that's the case because I think we could women can be dangerous too, but I think usually in somewhat different ways. But how did, how did it impact your view of men as safe versus dangerous? Um, I mean, it, it just, it, it, between that and then my association with high levels of competition, I just looked at every man as adversary, right? Like even if it was a friend, it was like, okay, you're competition for me, regardless, whether it's like, uh, in whether we're just hanging out at a barbecue, like I need to be able to to speak better than you. I need to be able to have more intellectual conversations with you. I need to look better than you, so I'm going to wear nicer clothes, or like you know, I'm going to go hit the gym that day, so I look more you know. Right, I need to be able to, to be more physically powerful than you. Right, exactly. I need to be able to beat yeah. you in horseshoes, and, exactly. and that's that's how we're socialized, right? And so we, we're always putting ourselves in the social hierarchy, placing ourselves, and then trying to climb that social hierarchy on. Freaking every, every axis. Yeah. I mean, when I was, when I was in high school, I was a dick in terms of my competitiveness. I would compete with you academically, uh, physically in terms of girls. Uh, I mean, any, any aspect you could think of, I was trying to be better than, Mm -hmm. and I think that's largely due to my own insecurity. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, that's how we figured out how to have some, uh, value or value for ourselves within the the tribal structure of like our community, right? Yeah, and, and it's that idea that we can only be safe if we're top dog in the hierarchy. But even then, we're not safe. Exactly. I actually, it was really funny. I posted a, I think it was a 
Oh, I did a YouTube video on the term, you know, beta male and how people utilize this to effeminize men. So I did this whole thing and talked about alpha, beta, um, what was it? Alpha, beta, gamma, uh, omega, and like, I think it's delta is how it goes. And oh, okay. I, I looked at all this within the hierarchical structure of tribes and communities, right? So if we look at the definition of these, and what was funny is I, I posted on it, all this stuff. And a friend of mine, uh, Philip Folsom, really awesome dude, he he comments, he goes, you know, the betas in the wolf pack are actually the biggest ones. And I was like, mm. whoa, because he deals with wolves. He literally has wolves. Um, part of his, his makeup is like he teaches people about wolves, but then he also teaches um, all kinds of other stuff, leadership and things like that. And he's big in the men's community, but he works with wolves intimately and he works with wolf packs intimately. And he's like, actually, betas, uh, the betas in a wolf pack are the biggest. Hmm. And I was like, holy crap. So because my thing was to challenge this narrative that we were making to effeminize men. I was like, you should be calling them omegas if you really want to effeminize them because they have no hierarchical value within the, the, okay. the tribe, right? But, like, but I was like, yeah, I was challenging this. And then he comes in with that. And I was like, well, that's crazy. So when we talk about that, like, oh, yeah, you want to be bigger and stuff like that. It's like, well, actually, the alpha wasn't the biggest. The alpha was just Whoa. the leader. and create I mean, all the shots for whatever reason. It, it brings up this idea that I, I've never been a fan of this whole alpha beta male thing. I think it's way too simplistic. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's black and white thinking. But one of the things that it ignores is it completely ignores the environment or the context. In other words, mm-hmm. just like a lot of things in life, like maybe a, a guy can be an alpha in terms of physicality, but maybe he's a beta intellectually, depending on who he's around. Or even if you're an alpha physically, you're never going to be an alpha everywhere you go because there inevitably is going to be someone that's bigger, stronger, faster, whatever than you. Yes. And, and so it really depends on the context. Yes. I, I, and this is why uh, my message as far as like men and masculinity in general was to to find that blend of masculine traits that is authentic to you and then mm-hmm. and then utilize that to be aligned with yourself because at the end of the day the alphas the ones when i when i see alphas like i've i've walked next to guys that that ha- are the probably some of the most deadliest dudes on the planet and yet you'll sit there and they'll be humble they'll make jokes about themselves they'll be caring they'll, they you would never know they were as dangerous as they are and then you're like oh so really an alpha is kind of very adaptable and mm-hmm. knows where he kind of sits within any environment. And honestly, the only thing that I have found that actually delineates them is that naturally, naturally, people look to them as a leader. Mm-hmm. It's not because they ask for it, but people naturally See, I like, look to them as a leader. I like that definition of an, of an alpha better than the deadliest guy. Yeah, yeah. And, and I don't agree with that. And, and I don't agree with that just like you don't because I'm yeah. like, no, man, there's so many other places. If you took that guy, that same guy, and you put him in in a conversation with Neil deGrasse Tyson and some of these other astrophysicists, he's going to get circles ran around him. He's just sheepish. not going to yeah, be that. sheepish. He, yeah, he's not. He's going to wave the white flag. <laughs> yeah, he, he is. <laughs> to bring he's a full circle. Like, yeah, he's gonna, I can't have this conversation. <laughs> Shit, I don't know, man. Yeah, exactly. But see that right there, what you just said? would be an alpha move. Hey man, I yeah. don't know. I'm going to let yeah. me ask some questions about this. I'm actually intrigued. You're you're totally on point. I think having the ability, the humility to say I don't know is huge. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. So to your point, I agree with you. I agree with you that it's not black and white, that the one thing I have found is that um, when you're looking at strong men within society, they're adaptable, they understand their capabilities, and they are looked at to or given respect and leadership, not because they ask for it, just because people give that to them. Because whatever you want to call it, energy or presence, whatever it is, has given them the ability where people just simply always look to them as a leader. And that's mm-hmm. what I have found has come come with that uh, certain characteristic. And you know, part of that might be having a growth mindset in all areas of life. In other words, as, as we're talking, I'm thinking that at the same time, I am a strong proponent of bettering ourselves on every front. And you know, if we want to say 1% a day, great. But I want to be the best man I can be physically. I want to be the best man I can intellectually. I want to be the best man I can emotionally, socially, spiritually. And I want to make other people around me better as well. Mm -hmm. And and so I I think it's important to have that growth mindset in a variety of areas in life because that lifelong learning value, I think, is key to this. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think just coming to that like when we come to this conclusion of a master of none, right? Like that, that becomes a very powerful tool because then we're constantly, we are the constant student. And I think if we are a constant student, we can find strength in always evolving and building our toolbox to encompass so many different things. Cause we know that there's no mountaintop, there's no finite point. And that's where I think power comes in, in being a strong man in this world, whatever that is, if it's, if it's, uh, you know, you're focusing on so many different areas. I love how you put too. It's like, there, my uncle told me this a long time ago, and it doesn't matter what I've done in life. Like, there's always going to be somebody stronger than me. There's always mm-hmm. going to be somebody more badass than you in 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 fighting. There's always going to be somebody more intellectual than you. There's always going to be that person. It's just it, you have eight billion people on the planet, right? Like, it's it's kind of there's no brainer there. Like, it's going to yeah. happen. And so you can't be the top in everything. It's physically impossible unless you're an AI robot and you are iRobot from uh, the old Will Smith movie. Oh, yeah, great movie. (laughs) That's the only thing. Like, when you're just that, like, that's about it. But as human beings, like, there's not. You're always going to have somewhere somebody's going to be better than you. And I think if we can, like I said, a master of none and always looking to be that ever evolving student, I think that's where we, I see us as men really taking masculinity and putting it in a different place than it's ever been before. And if we can continue to build that collectively, like yourself, myself, and other men that are, that are kind of leading along the way in this movement, um, I think that's where we are going to find power. And that's where the next generations are going to show us something very different. That's a powerful, evolved, uh, well-rounded man. Yeah, I agree. I'm really hopeful for the upcoming generations. Um, and and I got to say I'm I'm appreciative as hell of you as an individual because I just think what you've done is most impressive in terms of being spec ops and doing what you did physically and then continuing to evolve in all other areas. I think it's um, I think you're a huge inspiration to men in general. So thank you for that. Yeah, I appreciate that, brother. And it it's taken me a long time to to get here to be in that place of acceptance and surrender of like, okay, cool. Like I get to work on myself every day too. I get to learn that I don't understand everything. And I get to also learn that I get the ability to learn things. And so all of that has helped me to just constantly 
look to other men like yourself who I respect and listen to your content and grow and to also build my toolbox so that I can continue to help other men along the way. So appreciate that a lot, brother. You bet. And I mean, hell, Johnny, I'm 55 and I'm still learning. Yeah, we should. Be. We should always be. <laughs> I thought I was going to stop at some point. <laughs> well, I think that's like um, so kind of one of the the biggest failures of guys is we we do believe it's going to stop at some point. You know, yeah. I think that's like no, we got to keep challenging ourselves. Plus, it keeps or maybe we hope it's going to stop. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah, stop the pain, please. <laughs> um, so let me ask you one more question, and then we'll wrap up. But um, yeah, yeah, one of the things you say, which I don't know if it's purposefully. Um, confrontational or provocative, but you talk about stop searching for purpose. Tell me about that. Yeah, this one was really fun too, uh, in the sense that like, I knew it was going to provoke people. Um, so it, it was kind of intentionally, uh, for lack of better term, like cheeky, but on the same token that I give people a process on why I say this. And, uh, the reason why I d- dive into that is because the fact that purpose is is very few people know their purpose without having significantly contemplated on it for years and years and years and also have experimented. And so this is why I say stop searching for purpose because when you're trying to search for purpose, you're trying to say like, what is the thing? Like, well, first off, let's back up a second. Like, let's look at our perspective of what purpose is. The perspective is like your lifelong never ending goal that every day you wake up, whether it's a bad day or a good day, you're excited to go do that. And you're also energetically pulled to always have to do that. That's what I would say purpose is. Would you kind of agree? Okay. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So if we agree that that's kind of like what would be the definition of purpose for people, then... If you're looking at that and you're sitting down you're every day being like, oh, what's my purpose? What's my purpose? What's my purpose? What are you doing? You're putting a significant pressure on something that's even more impactful than even, let's say, a marriage, because this is like a lifelong dedication that you're considering, right? Whereas marriage, it's like, yeah, it's a lifelong dedication, but a lot of times it doesn't happen until like later in life or at some point in life where you're like, okay, I'm ready to have kids and a house and all these things. But you, marriage to me is like, that is is can be a little different also because the fact that there's an out with that, right? Like people get divorced, whatever. Whereas like your purpose, you're literally saying to everybody that this is what I'm going to dedicate myself to every single day, regardless of where it is. And that to me is so insurmountable that what happens is you're eventually going to settle. You're eventually going to say, this is my purpose. And then you're going to settle on it And then it might be fun for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you're going to really struggle with it. And then you're like, but I have to. I have to do it. You're going to have this negative connotation with it, which is almost punishment. And then you're going to say, I have to do it. I have to do it. I have to do it. It's my purpose. It's my purpose. I'm telling me it was my purpose. And then you're going to realize that you're super unhappy. And then what happens is a lot of people end up experiencing this similar to their corporate jobs down the road when they're older. And they're like, this actually was not my purpose. Like I, I'm not happy. And what I what I have come to the conclusion about is that most people mistake passion and purpose because they feel the same. They feel the same, but they have a little minor difference. And that minor difference is passion typically when it gets really hard doesn't survive. Mm-hmm. Passion, passion is like 
you get there and it's great. It's a hot flame. I mean, again, if we go back to relationships, think about when you first start dating somebody and you're super infatuated with them. Every song on the radio is about them. Everything that's got you see a bird and you're like, oh, that reminds me of them. Like it's like this burning hot flame with passion and the sex is great. But then all of a sudden, like you move in together and then that kind of dwindles a little bit. And then all of a sudden you get engaged and then that might dwindle a little bit more or even reignite for a second. But then you guys get married. And then all of a sudden, you're five years down the road and people are like, this is not the person I married. The sex has gotten uh, worse. Like We're not connected like we used to be. And a lot of that is because you based your decision off of passion as opposed to, hey, when it gets hard or when things aren't necessarily gelling, like how do we make this true love last? Like How do we actually make this turn this into love? And that's the same thing with purpose. If you look at purpose that way, if you take passion and you just experiment, just like you did dating in your life, if you experiment with different things that you're passionate about, if it starts to stick around for a while, there's the potentiality that this is going to become purpose. But you would never know that until you gave it a shot. So just trying to think on purpose is not going to get you to find purpose. You actually have to go out and experience passion first, things that fire you up, (laughs) that motivate you to go do them have those be your catalyst to having purpose kind of fall into your life. And you don't even have to look at that particular action. You don't have to look at that particular goal as like, oh, is this going to be my purpose? You just take it until it either doesn't want to be taken anymore, or you take it till it lasts longer than you thought it would. And you're like, oh crap, I really feel pulled to do this every single day. This is starting to feel like purpose. Like, can I say my men's work is my purpose right now? I honestly can't tell you that. I've been doing it for five years. There's been a shit ton of hard times. And in those hard times, have I wanted to hang it up and not do it anymore? Sure. But guess what? I have pulled every day, not out of not out of um not out of stubbornness. I've pulled every day to go towards men work because I believe I can help men. And so now I'm starting to say, okay, now this is a conversation. This potentially could be my purpose. But right now, it doesn't look like passion anymore. It's starting to look like that long-term love, right? Which to me Mm -hmm. is that key indicator of purpose having fallen into my life through a passion. And that's what I try to tell people to do. Go out and experience because you may drop it And then you find something else and that's okay. You may drop it after two weeks or a month or a year or five years. And then all of a sudden you find something else that you're very passionate about. That's okay. But if you experience more, you have the potentiality of having that purpose, that one piece that you look forward to waking up to every morning, no matter how hard it gets, that is going to fall into your life. But I don't think you can find that just by sitting down and thinking about it and having some coach be like, well, what's, you got to find your purpose first. What's your why? <laughs> and I'm like, bro, like that is such like, I bought three months of coaching for you. I ain't going to find that in three months, dude. Like that's not right. a thing. Well, so. so what you're saying, it sounds more like trial and error. And, and I think the other part of it that I would add is I think following your curiosity. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I want to, um, I kind of rail against, you know, the school system, because I, I think at times it really crushes children's curiosity, which is a tragedy, because yeah. I think that that's one of the more important traits to stay in touch with throughout the lifespan. Because if we can follow what we're curious about, that can also lead us to what we're passionate about. Mm-hmm. And it also leads to more learning as we age. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you an example real quick. Like 
I uh, wanted to diversify the way that my wife and I do business. So she has her her own women's business, and and I do like men's coaching and all this stuff. And I was like, well, you know, let's let's try to create a product. Um, so we created these, uh, and I'm not plugging this. I'm just giving a story. But we created you can. an organic. <laughs> well, we haven't. It's not out yet. But like, okay. we're starting to create this organic tea line <laughs> of seven different blends, right? So we started doing it and I have gotten very passionate about running the back end. Now, do I wake up every day as an infant cuz I know nothing about this world of like products and direct to consumer marketing? <laughs> absolutely. Or tea in general? Like absolutely. I feel like an infant every single day. I'm just learning. Beginner's mind. Exactly. Beginner's mind and like you put it, that curiosity. And now I'm like I, it's a passion. Like I enjoy it. I started to create other uh things that we're looking at potentially putting into um, this brand that we're starting to create. And I'm like, oh, that would be really fun to develop that. I have no clue how to do R&D work for food products. Like, okay, well, just one step at a time. Let me go find this. So anyways, I just say that because the fact that I'm following a curiosity, I'm following a passion active in my life right now. And it's really fun. Now, is organic tea going to be my freaking purpose? I don't I don't know. I can't say it's not going to be, but right now it's really fun. I'm very passionate about it. I wake up wanting to do it, wanting to move the ball forward every day to get this T-line created. And it's been uh, expansive for me uh, within a lot of different ways. But like you said, if if we're not curious and if we're not looking to just try stuff out, we would never know that. I would never have said, oh yeah, organic teas, like a thing that sounds really cool. <laughs> well, and I appreciate that example too, because if you had stuck to the man box, it would have been easy for some people to just say, oh, tea, like uh, men don't do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That might be oversimplification, but I could see guys saying that actually. Um, oh, for sure. So anyway, I, I have a great deal of respect for you and the path of evolution that you've taken. Um, so thanks for joining me on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, brother. And uh, I'm, I'm just alongside you and all these other great men in the industry. So I appreciate you also being one of the leaders in this space and helping us explore a lot of the things internally that we don't have those conversations with. You're definitely one of the, the guys I look to when I, when I need to question my own stuff and see how you're speaking about it because it's very powerful. So thank you. Well, yeah, thank you for the kind words. I appreciate it. And if you want more of Johnny, which I highly recommend, check out his podcast, The Art of Masculinity, and the book, Design the Man Within. And when does the book come out? So this will be out uh, officially for purchase May 16th. It'll be published, but we are going to have early bird um, pre-orders come out pretty soon. So we are finalizing the cover right now as of April 24th. And then we will have that pre-order open at designthemanwithin.com. Excellent. That was my next question. All right. Thanks again so much, Johnny. I appreciate it. Yeah. And I appreciate you. <clears throat> that is it for this episode of the Evolved Caveman. <clears throat> Pardon me. If you like this episode, please feel free to rate, like, review, and share. If you didn't like it, you don't have to do a damn thing. Thanks so much. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Evolved Caveman Podcast. If you like what you've heard, support us by subscribing, leaving reviews, and sharing the podcast with friends and colleagues. For the latest, most powerful tools to connect with like-minded men, join the Facebook group at The Evolved Caveman. Follow Dr. John on Instagram at The Evolved Caveman, all one word, or join the email list by visiting guidetoself.com. 